Hello, hello! Welcome to Anime Ichiban Goomba Stomp's dedicated podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pontier. As always, I am joined by Mr. Harry Morris over in the land of James Bond. Hello. How are you, Mr. Harry Morris? The land of James Bond, the, the sexist yes. spy himself. Yeah, I'm all good. I, uh, I just had a massive dinner, so I'm feeling really full, and uh, it's really uncomfortably hot in my room as well, so I'm... Oh boy, we swapped spaces yeah. in this last episode. I was burning in my own room now i'm I, quite comfortable i feel fucking <laughs> disgusting i'm sweating i'm let full. me tell you about heat and feeling disgusting oh uh, right? yes because kyle just got back from the land of the ramen <laughs> and the land of a massive fucking heat wave was it was it rather hot in japan uh rather is like putting it extremely mildly so well, what was, i wasn't watching the temperatures what was it at a hundred and I imagine quite humid as well. it felt like 120. Yeah, it was just yeah. awful. It was awful. It was awful. The whole um, trip was awful. And we're going to talk about that later <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> hopefully, okay. hopefully it was decent over the heat. Hopefully you had a decent time. Um, but yeah, I'm all good. Yeah. Everything's good in the land of me. Awesome. And Kyle is barely over his jet lag, I imagine. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So the weird part of that is like getting to Japan, we were totally fine. I was energized. I had like the motivation to do everything on the trip. And mm-hmm. then like the, the minute I got back into the US, I just, I, I barely just got over my jet lag. Like oh, I spent course, yeah. most of work, like just like sleeping and taking naps here and there, which I wasn't expecting, but yeah, it, because you're not of, running on raw adrenaline anymore. You're just back in real life. Yeah, and I real guess that's what really that, that's what it was. It was just like all of the exhaustion finally caught up to be mixed with like post travel depression. So, mm-hmm. and now here we are recording a podcast to escape into our own fantasies again. Yeah, get away from that real life, <laughs> and that leads us into what we've been playing. And I imagine we've all been playing the same fantasy. Am I correct to assume that? Yeah. It's the same three fantasies, I should say, actually. Yes, I think we've artificial all been, uh, academy, uh, too. Yeah. Uh, all, we've all been playing uh, quite a lot of Fire Emblem Three Houses. That we've did. all been very, very much enjoying it. I finally just got the review out for Goomba Stomp last week. This game is it's enormous. It's a game. It yeah. is. Yeah. It, I, I have finished the, the Golden Deer Path. Where are you guys sitting at in that? So I, I'm, I'm doing Golden Deer as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I've... I think I'm about 18 hours in, so I'm not crazy far. Oh, so you're still early. Yeah, like I'm still early. What I will say, I'm having a good time of it. It's fun, but it's yet to get me addicted, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. I feel like I'm going to be the devil's advocate here, and I'm going to say something more negative just to kind of balance things out with whatever you guys are going to say. As much <laughs> as I like it, I feel like the loop of you go and do a battle, you go to the monastery and talk to people, you go and do a battle, you go to the monastery and talk to people, you go and do a battle and you go back to the monastery. <laughs> it's quite a repetitive loop. And I found myself getting quite bored with it as much as I've enjoyed it. And as much as I love going around the monastery and, and spending time with people, as much as I do enjoy the core battle mechanics, I find that as a system, it's very repetitive. And for that reason, I've not found myself getting like fully, fully invested as in can't put it down, uh, which is why I'm only 18 hours in. However, 
it is cool. I'm enjoying it and it's good fun. And uh, there's a lot of good characters and I'm having a good time and I'm going to finish it eventually. It might just take a long time for me. Right, it is. I, I don't know why I took so long with my playthrough. So my playthrough took 90 hours right, where <laughs> it seems like the average clear time is between 60 and 80. So I don't know. I, I didn't feel like I was going slow. I never got stuck anywhere or anything like that. But I just really took my time going through that game, apparently. But um, I, I can totally see where you're coming from, Harry. And the general uh, vibe that I get from reading around and general opinion is like, yeah, the the loop is what gets a lot of people. Yeah. But at the same time, I think for most of the people, um, they end up getting so attached to specific characters and getting like they enjoy getting to know the characters more throughout as the year goes on that the loop doesn't bother them as much. Like I yeah. remember when I was on the podcast with uh was it Tim, the N Express podcast? I think it was Tim, yeah. And it was like one of his first JRPGs, story-driven JRPGs that he's really, really heavily enjoyed because he got so attached to characters and he's not he's not used to that. So I was really happy to hear yeah. that. That said, I can totally see how that that loop can get to someone. I, th- for I sure. think, and I, I started that, to get exhausted towards the end. One of the, of the things too. that I'm also not quite used to is I recently finished doing like a 100% run of Dragon Quest XI, uh, which mm-hmm. I love. It's awesome. Uh, and one of the things that's really fun about a game like that is obviously the idea of like just leveling your characters to max and maxing out everything you can. And mm-hmm. with Free Houses, it's very much the opposite where you can only do so much. You can only level up so much and complete so much right. before you reach the end and it's New Game Plus. So everything I do kind of feels like it's temporary. Nothing feels like this state of permanence of like, yeah, I'm going to fucking max out everyone. I'm going to get every item and do every side quest. It isn't that kind of game. Oh yeah. Um, It's impossible for. Yeah. To be fair, to be fair, Persona was like that. Yeah. And and that is another point of Persona. Persona is very similar. So I know it's kind of, it's not the best criticism for me to make because Persona is one of my favorite games ever. Persona 5 (laughs) is amazing. Um, but 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 it's like it's quite a repetitive loop with Fire Emblem. Yeah, I think but, that, but I, that, I will say, that combined with the criticism of nothing's really permanent. It mm-hmm. yeah, it just doesn't quite hook me as much as I wanted it to. But I feel if I play it more, it will eventually hook me. So I'm not writing. Yeah, it I definitely I definitely agree on the whole. Like I'm like 23 hours in. Um, yeah, and I I definitely agree on the whole like the the actual mechanics of the gameplay loop can get somewhat tiresome. Um, and like, as far as like the, the, the overarching scope of like the overall game design, it's very similar to persona in that regard. Um, which is, I would say is a step in the right direction for the franchise. Um, but where I guess pers- where, where you don't feel that lag as much in persona is the fact that you do get a lot more freedom. Um, in yeah. that series i i think it's really open-ended with with like with persona um even though it can be like you're doing very similar things each time it's like i'll oh, hang out with this party member do this or that it's you're given such a mix of stuff to do and it doesn't feel too repetitive it balances mm-hmm. everything so well i also think in general the combat as much as i like the combat of fire emblem I do really favor just like turn-based battle systems and that kind of thing over strategy games like Fire Emblem. Um, but that's all personal bias. That's not necessarily like a, a criticism that's going to hold up against free houses. Yeah, yeah. Bias. See, I, I totally get that taste. because like y- you're talking about how you're feeling. It's like, oh, okay, it feels like it's you know not really clicking with you yet. Um, 
I, I do share the same criticisms of like the gameplay loop as you, but the difference for me is that I absolutely love tactics and SRPG combat. Yeah, so yeah. I am I'm just like spending like at least like half an hour before I even deploy my units, just thinking about like how I'm going to like set them up, how I'm going to like how my turns are going to look like five turns in and all of that. So yeah, yeah, I, I get super engaged with the combat. Yeah. And I definitely love how all the additions and changes they've made to the combat system. Oh, all it's the so cues good. They've taken from Shadows of Lentia, like the weapon arts, like how the weapon triangle is gone. And I don't, I'm not sure. Are, have either, either of you encountered monster type enemies yet? Yes. Yeah. That yeah, is so, such a good addition to the franchise. I know. It is so cool because it makes you, it forces you to actually bear the entire brunt of your military strength to bring down a single mm-hmm, enemy. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like in previous Fire Emblem games, you had bosses where you, you could just send one reasonably strong unit over and you could take them down. But the monster units, like, no, you need to have at least like a good chunk of your units with battalions all bearing down on this single enemy and or else like, it's they, going they to pose destroy you. An actual threat. Yeah. Absolutely, mm. especially once you get start getting later down the line when there's multiple on the field, you got normal mm. enemies barreling down on you. It it can like the monster type enemies definitely make some of the, for the most stressful moments in the I, combat. I think the game. I think at the point I'm at in the game, that's what I'm maybe missing because I found some battles to be just too linear and too mm. just sort of like just move these characters here. I found myself bored at times where I have to take the entire turn just to move characters closer to a destination. They don't do anything. They don't attack anyone. They're just literally inching towards a destination. And that's the yeah, entire Yeah, I feel turn. that. And feel there's that. times actually... when I'm thinking, I wish there was a bit more of a challenge here. I wish every mm-hmm. turn I'd be doing something. Even if it's just killing one or two enemies, give me something to do and give me something to think about. There's a lot of times where I'm just fucking like inching Raphael a little bit closer along. And he's so fucking fat, but he can barely move forward because <laughs> his, his <laughs> radius of movement is so bad. And it's just like, for God's sakes, give me something a bit more. But mm-hmm. I think that will be alleviated in time as I get mm-hmm. further into the game. So like, I want to say I do really like Free Houses. It's really good. I just think it takes a long time to get going. And I think I'm not quite there yet. That's what I'm estimating. I do mm-hmm. think uh, normal difficulty is a lot easier than a regular fire emblem i i wish i chose hard when i started oh you um, always go hard you always go hard with fire no emblem. no 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 because then you hard get classic, something hard classic you get, you get something like path of radiance or radiant dawn it just uh, granted i beat those on hard but man was it i would not be able to like sit down and no you gotta you gotta struggle nowadays. you gotta struggle you gotta yeah, do but it. a new game plus i'm definitely definitely doing hard um, but yeah, take. later later down the line, the maps do get more intricate. Uh, mm-hmm. They not anything too crazy. I I still think like Radiant Dawn, and contrary to what Kyle thinks, I do think uh, Fire Emblem Fates Conquest had really really good map design. Um, it had actually neat gimmicks to them. There aren't really a whole lot of gimmicks in Three Houses. Um, but yeah, it's it does take a while to get going. It because it. It's kind of trying to be an awakening for the Switch generation where any person of any skill level can jump in. And because mm. of that, they kind of babe you into all the mechanics, especially also because even for veteran Fire Emblem uh, fans, this, the combat is fairly different from what we're used to. Mm. I do really like how okay. successful it's been, though, and how much it's sold. Because mm-hmm. um, I know for a long time, Fire Emblem wasn't doing well in the West. So the fact that mm. it is doing really well now, I think it's amazing. So... All Fire Emblem not fans just, can be happy. Yeah. This game is doing fucking well. 
And not just well, but I'm oh, sorry. Go. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not just well, but it's like the top of a conversation outside the context of waifus and husbandos. Finally, like, yes, people are talking about their favorite characters but because the whole marriage mechanic is completely thrown out the window. Like there are canon pairings in this game. And because of that, I feel like the support conversations are so much stronger, so much tight knit because they're not worrying about like who goes with who, who makes the best children or anything like that. It's, the characters the, are the so much more believable. The writing is so fucking good. Yeah. Like, uh, Marianne, I, I just want to give her a hug in Golden Deer. She needs a hug so badly. <laughs> I want to hug the like, oh, that, so that's nice. Yeah, let's uh, let's end off with that. So who who's the character, the single character that you've grown most attached to so far? So for me, it was Marianne oh. in my playthrough. I just wanted to protect her so badly. I just wanted her to have more self-confidence in herself. Um... I think like an obvious pick is like Bernadetta, as, as one that everyone likes. Oh, Bernadetta's everyone, great everyone's too, yeah. fond of Bernadetta. Uh, but I also think like obviously Claude is a great character, um, and he's just so likable. Uh, but I've been, I've enjoyed all the characters. I've, I've had a really good time with all of them. They all seem really, uh, really fun. And you got to kill your babies, Harry. Choose one. Uh, I, I think the, the fact that when I started, I, I strived very hard to get Bernadetta to join my Golden okay. Day thing, and she did pretty early on. I think that's about, I'd have to choose Bernadetta. All right. What about you? Who, which house did you choose, Kyle, anyways? Black Eagle. Okay. And so who is your your mm, favorite character so far? I'm, I'm actually surprised of myself in that it's not... I, it's hard because I actually do really like the entire cat, or at least like the entire house. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were to pick... I can't go with favorite. I can't go with favorite. So I'm going to go with who I find the most interesting. Okay. Um, and I'm actually going to go with Ferdinand um, because okay. I, I really like it. So in a lot of anime, especially you get the whole like noble versus commoner thing. That's super like prevalent, um, especially in fire emblem. Mm-hmm. But I think Ferdinand is the first instance I've seen where He's a clueless noble, but he's very earnest in what he's trying to do. Um, right. I can like, totally understand that because in Golden Deer, Lawrence is the same way. And I found him very fascinating as the game went on. But go on. Um, but yeah, it's just like he, he's like this. Um, he, he comes from high society. He has like no idea how the world works, but he's aware of that and he wants to change that. Uh, which is not a dynamic you typically see in this kind of setting with nobles versus commoners. Um, and I didn't expect myself to enjoy those story beats as much as I am right now, just because I've seen it like done to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really refreshing to see such a grounded take on it. So right. how much would you want to see a Fire Emblem anime? I mean, is that good? That would be difficult. <laughs> would it be difficult? I don't, I don't think I would. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would want to see yeah. that, honestly, yeah. because... The, the story in Three Houses, and I wrote it in my review, it's it's okay. And granted, I've only played Golden Deer. I hear more positive things about Black Eagles, but it's it's okay. But the base story is nothing yeah. to write home about. What really just, gets you into I it is all I the support conversations. I don't know as much about the story, yeah. so like, yeah. Um, exactly. I, I mean, admittedly, to be fair, like, I obviously love the Persona 5 story. But when I found out they were doing anime, I wasn't like, oh, yes. It was just like, why? The game does that story perfectly. Why, why do you need to do an anime? Um, so yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from on that. All right. Well, that, 
That's it for uh, Fire Emblem. We can I can go on for <laughs> hours and hours and hours about this game. If you want to hear more about that, you can check out the N Express podcast episode, where it's just me and Tim Mason fanboying over it for an hour and a half oh for gosh. a single game. Yeah, but let's let's jump into what our podcast is actually about, and that's anime. And so we've got we've got some news topics to go over, as is per usual. And we're going to start off with some nice slowball ones, not much to discuss, but just nice to put out there. So you guys know about the movie Redline by chance? Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you both seen Redline? I have seen Redline. I have watched half of it. Well, you can watch the other half for free now and anyone else who hasn't watched oh, it. Oh, nice. It, streaming for free on YouTube. You can oh, just go on YouTube and YouTube Redline movie. Really? It's right there for free. No ads. From Madhouse or is it one of those sketchy like... Uh, it's posted by YouTube with, movies. Uh, uh, it's it's oh. officially it, no like YouTube is officially streaming it. Yeah, actually, it's officially okay. available I see, on YouTube. I seem to remember a long time ago, an earlier podcast episode. I explained how I'd gotten Redline on Blu-ray, and I was planning to watch it. And this would have been a few months back, and mm-hmm. and I did watch it. And I think the animation is incredible, but I thought the pacing was terrible, and I thought there were aspects of the story that were really odd that I didn't get into, but I thought the animation was phenomenal. I'm probably one of the, oh, yeah, one, the, anima- one of the only people who doesn't rave about that film, I think. The animation <laughs> is definitely like Madhouse firing on all cylinders. Yeah, totally. It's just like a visual spectacle. I yeah. wanted to try to think of something more creative than that, but it is the bold lines, the bold colors, the way things kind the way they animate motion, it's just absolutely jaw-dropping. So if anything, I do think it's worth seeing Oh, just, yeah, for the just for the animation alone. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. And it is available for free on YouTube. And you can go finish it now, Kyle. I, so, I yeah. can. I have no excuse. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, you, that's I can't believe you've only seen the first half because like the first, not like even more than the first half, is just fucking like plot. And then it does the race, which is all you want to see, really. You go into Redline, all you want to see is the race shortly. It's like Mad Max Fury Road. You just want to see the, the big fucking think, action sequence. And think, that's yeah, when, what, what caused you to only see half the Yeah, it? I think when we were watching, it's also, first off, you can get out. D- d- stop going down my throat. I'll watch it, man. <laughs> but you know, I think we were, I was with a group and like, it was at like 2 a.m. So we weren't like super feeling and then, it. Oh, okay, and yeah. everyone started yeah. fucking and it got weird. Uh, yeah, and then everyone started fucking. Got it got weird and, and let's, here let's I am. red line off. <laughs> no, yeah. Before it turns into a red light. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so what's next on your news roundup, Matt? Yeah. And so I feel like every single one of these I have some sort of new stage play that's been announced. Oh my and God. we always I always say it and oh we always God. are like, cool, I guess. I'll give you one guess each for which one it is this time. Is it a shonen? Uh, no, is I would it, call it a seinen more than a shonen. Boku no Pico. <laughs> Can you fucking the not? Day, the day we get a Boku no Pico stage play. I, oh actually, my God. That's, that's just called porn. That's just like... <laughs> what, what is it? <laughs> what is it? It, it, it is Psychopaths. Oh, Psychopaths. Oh! Yeah. It, which hmm. is like a great series, but one that I never thought I needed as a stage play, so... Okay. I feel like that's the trend for all these stage plays yeah, that happen. Yeah, you know. I feel like that's one that I could feasibly see just because it it's just a crime drama. So 
Yeah, I think it yeah. lends itself better than like Naruto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. The other ones we talked about. I don't know best. how you're meant to adapt. Like, I mean, this one, I feel this way about films, but like how are you meant to adapt something as long as something like One Piece or Naruto or just like a crazy long shonen into an hour and a half, two hours like of of film or theater or whatever it might be. It just, it can't be I assume done. it's like a one-off story instead of like trying to get the whole show down. I want the, right, I want I the would whole think show. So too, I want yeah. the whole show packed into oh two God. hours in theater. Oh wait, no. This, this this stage play is the first season. The entire first season. <laughs> oh, that's gonna have some problems with pacing. <laughs> it just seems. Yeah, that's. Uh, hmm. I don't know. It seems, it I'd want to see that to just me, to see if how they do that. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not mm. a theater aficionado, so maybe I'm not the best person to comment. But it does seem a bit weird to me. I don't really get the point. Like, like who's demanding it? Who's like, oh, you know what? Psychopath. I would see it, but only if it was live on stage. I mean, it's the same thing with like Broadway musicals. Like, do, do we really need to like see this Disney movie on a on the stage? I don't know. I, I I did theater in college. I wasn't mm-hmm. the biggest fan of like how like just things got musicals left and right. I, I, like, oh. I just I just think in general adaptations can fuck off. Like, if there's one thing I want to just fuck off massively, like adaptations of anything, (laughs) mostly, there's a few exceptions, like like the Harry Potter films, for example, or the Lord of the Rings trilogy, a few exceptions that work, but generally adaptations don't work. But Harry, if we didn't have adaptations, we'd lose like 95% of our anime. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like all manga adaptations. Oh, okay. Or light novel adaptations. Well, that can stay. <laughs> Admit, for the sake of our podcast. Ad- admittedly, you're adapting it into something that's so, so visually similar to the source material that it's essentially as accurate and as close as an adaptation as anything can possibly be, if that makes that's sense. Fair, yeah. like, whereas if, if you're adapting anything else, it's going to be a very loose interpretation of the source material. And typically, I don't think that works based on what I've seen and what I've experienced. Right. That's my hot and take. <laughs> case in point, so we have the Dragon Quest V movie. Um, were, are either of you aware of this? No. <laughs> Did you know about this Dragon Quest? No, movie? I am. Well, I am not much of a Dragon Quest fan, so okay, I, so I stay off the radar. So the Dragon Quest V movie, it's it was. It, there's a lot of excitement going into it. It's already out, and we'll get to that. And uh, all the trailers that came out, like all the fans were very, very excited about it. It's a C, it's a CG movie, okay. and uh, from the looks of it, it was looking to be very, very good, and people were very excited about it. And it came out in Japan, and people aren't happy with it. Ooh. And oh, no. to, to go into why they're not happy, I'm going to be going into full spoiler territory for this movie. So if you plan to watch it later on, Two now come back like five, six minutes later. I'll have it in the timestamps below. Okay, so basically for the first while of the movie, it, it's following the, the plot of Dragon Quest V pretty closely. People are more or less satisfied with it. They're a little, they were a little off put by how fast they condensed the so-called childhood arc in the first 10 minutes of the movie. But besides that, they were enjoying it. But then... <laughs> When the the big baddie of the whole series comes up, his name's Grandmaster Nimzo, basically they say that it's a whole bait and switch and that the main character is actually a human from our world that has oh, been no. isekai into the Dragon Quest V oh, no. 
uh, world and this VR Dragon Quest V experience. What? And the big baddie Nimzo is actually a bug in the game and he's trying oh, to, to take what? it over. <laughs> yeah, it just goes full on Danganronpa, basically. What? I'm not even a fan of Dragon Quest and that makes me pissed off. Yeah, exactly. And so if you were a fan of Dragon Quest, specifically Dragon Quest V, imagine how bad you would be at this. Oh, that's, man. That's <laughs> stupid. Like, who, who thought of this thinking, yeah, that's what people are like? Like, why? Yeah, it's the, the real Nimzo never shows up. The, the trademark sword for Dragon Quest V, the Zenithian sword, is traded by Erdrich's, like, very recognizable legendary sword from one of the other Dragon Quest games that the main character uses to save the game world. But they just completely do this total bait and switch that fans are not pleased with and i hear that and again i'm the same as you i haven't played dragon quest 5 but just reading this i'm just like how could you possibly possibly think this is a good idea it's one mm. thing to kind of put it out there in the open and be like okay we're doing like an isekai where someone goes into the dragon quest 5 universe that's cool we all have those kind of delusions like what we all ask ourselves what kind of universe would we want to what game universe would we want to be in if we had to choose one it could be like that but no, they advertise this as a faithful adaptation of Drag Quest mm. V. And then I, I think, didn't adapt it. I think it's frustrating sometimes you get certain writers who almost get too up their own ass with their ideas. And I think that this like I, I love experimentation and creativity in story writing, but I think sometimes mm. as well it's great to play it safe when necessary. Um I was thinking about this recently, like think about like the ending of Harry Potter. And the fact that nobody anywhere was upset with the ending of Harry Potter because, like, J.K. Rowling played it so safe and she didn't do anything mm -hmm. weird. It wasn't like Harry was all part of a simulation and he was actually Dumbledore's lover all this time. Nothing unexpected, no switches like that. It was just a very safe, conclusive ending and everyone loved it as a result. And in the case of this Dragon Quest movie, I'm sure everyone would have been happy if it was just a faithful, straight-up, Dragon Quest adaptation that's honoring the source material, not doing anything weird, just doing what it needs to do. But the writers obviously thought, fuck no, let's do something weird. And it didn't work. Because that's not that's yeah. not the right vehicle to do something weird in. Um Nope. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> yeah. There there were a couple hints in the movie, apparently. So first of all, it's called Dragon Quest Your Story yeah. is the subtitle. There's no five in that, it's just your story. And apparently the main character, Luke, is he had a very modern way of speaking that people just kind of like hand waved away. He's like, oh, it's just it's that's how it is. But no, that was like a clue that he's a dude from our world, basically. That's so stupid. Yeah, it's uh, is it is it meant to be something where like you watch it you're like, oh, my God, that could be me going into the Dragon Quest world. That's the whole uh, appeal of Isekai. If, if you think that you're the biggest fucking idiot in the world. <laughs> Like, I, to be fair, like I, I think what they probably had in mind was, wow, this is really going to sell well with twelve-year-olds. But twelve-year-olds are stupid. Twelve-year-olds don't. Hey, twelve-year-olds are stupid. Twelve-year-olds don't have money to buy. Apologize to all our twelve-year-old listeners. Fuck off, twelve-year-old listeners. Uh, well, there we go. We've lost them all. <laughs> like they, they, all they don't. They don't them. have. They're a terrible demographic. They don't have the money to go to the cinema and to pay for cinema tickets. So already, they're a bad demographic. And secondly, they're stupid. No 12-year-old has good taste in, in entertainment. They're stupid. Okay, now I've lost all the young listeners. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now let's retain our elder listeners by talking about Makoto Shinkai's newest movie. So yes. Weathering With You, we talked about this on a previous podcast. And so it has been out in Japan for a month now. And it has topped, it has surpassed uh, ticket sales compared to your name. Really? It's sold. Oh. Yes. Let me, where to go? Uh, okay. And it has uh, had a mixed reception. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. <laughs> it, it's the number 10 highest earning Japanese film of all time. And yeah, like you said, it has had a mixed reception. And I've heard mm. all across the board that granted, I haven't heard anyone say it's bad. Like I've, everyone I've talked to or read has said that they enjoyed it. And it's ranged from they thought it was better your name to it was good to it was kind of Makoto Shinkai doing the same thing again, mm. which is kind if we remember back to the episode where we talked about we were speculating what we wanted out of this movie, that's something we didn't want it to be. We didn't want it to be another Makoto Shinkai film where it's kind of the Shakespearean formula of comedic first half, tragic second half, and so on and so forth. So that's mildly disappointing if that's the case, but we have us three haven't seen it, so we can't really make that judgment. But what I but do know is the fact that it's doing well is at least halfway a good through thing. it turns out to be an isekai. And it's oh my god! The real world in it. <laughs> That's well. I'm glad you. I'm glad you could save us from uh, going to see that on our own. Then, Harry. <laughs> no, I, I don't know anything about it. I just know it's had a right. mixed response. Exactly. It was number one. In its opening weekend it has earned about 12.51 million US dollars in its first three days. Um, oh, wait, no, 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 that was your name. I'm sorry. It, it earned 28.6% more in its first three days than your name. And your Did name math. earned 12.51 million. So if we take carry the decibel here. 30% and of 12 there, is like four. So it probably made like around 18 like million. Like 16 million, 18 million. 16, yeah, 18 million. Like yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Math. Right. And so if you are interested in seeing Weathering With You and you happen to live in Canada, then you're in luck because... They're going to be having Are the North American. Are you fucking kidding me? The North Canada? American premiere for. Well, it makes sense because it's premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival. All right. Yes, and so if you are around um, Toronto, Ontario, between September or on September fifth or fifteenth, you can go see the North American premiere of Weathering with Toronto You. Toronto and I Seattle. <laughs> if you live in the UK like me, you'll probably <laughs> find that maybe. If you live in the UK like me, you'll probably find in about six months it will maybe be available for <laughs> one night at a cinema in bumfuck nowhere, and that'll be it. And yeah, so you'll get maybe a one-off showing in one place in a few months' time. There you go. Brilliant. Harry's got you covered for you'll everyone living in the you'll UK. You'll be fine, Harry. <laughs> everyone else, uh, it's going to be airing in the, in the uh, North America sometime in 2020. It will get an awards-qualifying qual- theatrical premiere sometime before that, but that's uh, there's no information on that so far. Boo. Boo. Yes. Got to talk to Ricky and get someone on that because I know there'll be people at Toronto International Film Festival covering that. Yes. And so this brings us to a little known thing called a comic cat or comic market that happened recently in Japan. And there are a few interesting things about that. And first of all, I know Kyle knows what comic cat is. Do you know what comic cat is, Harry? No. Sounds good, though. So, 
So Comiket is short for comic market, and it is the largest doujin. Do you know what a doujin is? No, sounds good, bro. <laughs> <laughs> a, a doujin is a f- basically fan-made uh, works based off of established uh, anime or manga series. Ah, sometimes they are hentai, I, sometimes they're not. I wanted it to be a doge in jeans, so I'm quite disappointed now. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure I don't think anybody's made that done yet. That. Doge jean. <laughs> Anyways, carry on. Mm. I'm sure those exist as well. But yeah, so Kamaket is the largest event where all the various artists, all the various circles, the circles are the groups of artists basically come and sell their works to the greater public. And it is a massive, massive thing. It's been going on. Um, it happens Since twice a year. The 70s? So uh, winter and uh, summer. This is the, we just had the 96th one. So divide that by two. So 48, that is 50 years 40, ago. Yeah, so it's been going on for about 50-ish years then, give or take, if we oh. can go. It's a, it's a big event, and it's only gotten bigger now because this Convocat broke the record for total number of attendees for 730,000 across oh all four days. Uh, the previ- that smashed the previous record, which was uh, 700,000, which was Convocat 84. However, caveat is that this was the first Convocat that was four days long. Uh, up until this point, mm. it has been three days long. Uh, to accommodate for that, they've also opened it up across two venues instead of just the Makahari Mese. Uh, they have it in two different locations. That said, there was still a lot of chaos, which is if you watch any sort of anime that involves a Kamaket episode, you can get a sense for that chaos. It is very much like that. Mm. Uh, nice, nice little quirks is that Sellsworth work. Do you guys both remember that yeah. show? So yes. it's all about promoting healthy lifestyle. So Cells with the Work had a collaboration with Bacardi Sweat to kind of Aww. encourage people to stay hydrated oh, that's adorable. during that's the great. really, really hot parts of Japan. That's really cool. While Which is all on. of it. Yes. You were there during Comic Yeah, and I was. The, the neat thing about this, though, is so largest amount of attendance, record-breaking for Comic you would think that it would be a mess afterwards that there'd be trash all over the place and it's just a nightmare scene. And that's not the case actually. So there is, there's a bunch of cleanup volunteers that go about picking up the trash after all these events every single year. And one of, and one of those uh, groups is a pretty prominent voice actor named Arata Ito. And he's been doing this for about seven years. And he commented how, and all of the, and all the events he's picked up trash afterwards, this one has had the least amount of trash. He was shocked really cool. by how little trash was left over after this event was over. The largest otaku event in Japan to date had the least amount of trash. So that is very cool. That is cool. I'm glad I'm glad that people can be decent human yeah, beings. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll dig into that later when we talk about it's, Japan, but that was probably like the biggest surprise for me. Is, is, like, is Japan really clean? It, it's so oh, fucking absolutely. clean. Yeah. yeah. Like, I... Like the second I got back to like the US, it was just such a stark difference. Like there is no trash at all. And like walking down even like just random alleyways in Tokyo, it just it smells fine. You've got like you've at got worst a, it smells fine. You've got a society of people who actually care and who actually Yeah, that's that's it, really it's, it. it's gonna yeah, if you if you ever go to like a I know you guys won't, but if you ever go to like a vegan festival, for example, Everyone will pick up the trash. Like, there's no trash left over afterwards. It's definitely a certain kind of like group mentality. Yeah, you've you've got a demographic of people who care about the planet and who care about the world. Um, Whereas if you go to fucking, I don't know, Glastonbury or 
some sort of mainstream festival or just anywhere in America, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or anywhere in the UK as well. You're just going to get a bunch of fucking pricks who just yeah, litter. Mo- most care. Western metropolitan areas are like pretty fucking filthy. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. that's like with, I guess, people already making an effort to like try and keep it clean. But yeah, right. it's just such a huge difference um, over in Japan. And yeah, it does, yeah. The, more, more to say, it does not surprise me that an event like Comic Cat is like very neat. Right. Well, it, this is comparing to other events within Japan, though, as well. So even uh, within hmm. Japan, like this was excessively clean hmm. and. Like the, the the voice actor, he posted comparison pictures from this year's to uh, previous years of Comic Head, and it is like a very very stark difference. Because even even with how uh, careful people are to stay clean in Japan, you put seven hundred weeks. I guess I'm not weeps because actually Japanese seven hundred thousand <laughs> otaku in a single space. There's going to be some trash no that's, matter what. Yeah, so, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, the fact that mm. there is a least with the most amount of people that is pretty impressive and nice. That to is hear. really cool. Mm-hmm. On top of that, we were talking about isekai before. Uh, the a bunch of prominent isekai authors did a nice little tongue-in-cheek kind of not really prank, but uh, a v- collaboration for Comicet. So authors for a series such as Saga of Tanya, the Evil, ReZero, Isekai, Isekai Nobu, they all came together and wrote the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Isekai, <laughs> <laughs> where weird. basically, yeah. They all say it's like, okay, we all dream about being isekai one day, but if you do, are you actually prepared for it? <laughs> are you prepared mentally? Are you prepared physically? Well, don't worry. We've got six prominent authors here to give you all the tips and tricks for surviving in your respective worlds. That's quite cool. Probably. Maybe. <laughs> and so they were handing those out for comic and it was apparently a big hoot. And I, I appreciate that. I love it when... Uh, because isekai, it's so easy to make fun of. And I love it when isekai makes fun of itself. Yeah. <laughs> because that's that's always a good time. That's cool. So have either of you heard of a series called Yamada-kun and the Seven Witches? I think I've heard of it, but I know nothing about it. Mm, same, same. Okay, so I really, really loved the manga for this. The anime was fun too. It wasn't as good, but it was fun. So the basic premise is that... Uh, Yamada is kind of this Yankee delinquent rebellious kid at school and he kind of gets told off by the most prestigious girl at the school and in doing so they accidentally kiss and when they do they switch bodies and after some trial and error they find out that basically Yamada has the power to switch bodies with whoever he kisses and so it's a rom-com mystery supernatural story from there. And it's really, really adorable. It has some of the best pairings in anime I've seen. I love it. And you should check it out. So that's all I'll say on that since neither of you have seen it. The story is so that the, the author of the series, Miki Yoshikawa, who has also wrote in uh, Yankee-kun and Megane-chan, which was, again, about a Yankee delinquent kid getting together with a prim and proper girl. So she is basically taking a vote for her next series. So in Weekly Shonen Magazine, she is going to be publishing three different one-shots all of different stories, and then the fans will get to vote on what her next full-fledged series will be. That's cool. Which I think is actually really yeah. neat. And this is part of the 60th anniversary of the Weekly Shonen Magazine. And so I really appreciate that uh, an author is willing to kind of ask the fans, like, what do they want? What of these three? Because so she, she how many times have like, three ideas, which she all think she thinks are all pretty good, but she just legitimately yeah. can't decide between them. So she's exactly. like, what, what do you guys think? I think that's cool, yeah. Yeah. Because how many times have you guys read a one-shot manga and been like, you know, I, I, 
I really wish that was a full series. That was really, really cool. Mm. But it's not <laughs> because they just put it out as a one shot and they mm -hmm. thought that would be it. And it's, granted, sometimes one shots do get turned into full series, but it's really nice to be like, okay, here are some one shots. If you really like it, then tell me because it can be turned into a full series. And that's exciting because Miki Yoshikawa, she definitely has a very, she, she approaches romance very straightforwardly compared to a lot of other manga authors. There's not a lot of beating around the bush, whereas in a lot of other series, like that is the story of just like building right. up the relationship. And then the end is like, oh, they finally got together. It's like in her series, they get together earlier rather than later. And then the, the story goes on from there. And I really, really appreciate that about her writing. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out from her next. Ooh. On the flip side of that, though, and I already uh, messaged Kyle about this a while back. Uh, so we have an interesting collaboration between the author of Higurashi, When They Cry, or uh, Umeneko, When They Cry. Suspense thriller, very violent, kind of uh, very jarring show. Terrible, terrible things happen to very good people in that show and the series. Is collaborating with the artists of Clanad. Which is, and just like the artists of like a lot of key visual novels in general. So just kind of very sad, emotional stories uh, charged with human interactions and things like that. So they are working together to make a visual novel. That's cool. And that is terrifying. <laughs> and this visual novel is called Kaleidoscope of Phantasm Prison. And if you go on the website for it, so the website has four very happy looking girls, very... Uh, Itari Hinoe, like that's the author, or not the author, the artist of Clan Ad, has her art style written all over. You click on this little card and it suddenly goes all dark. They're very miserable. They're in some sort of prison and they look very distressed. Aww. And so uh, it's this definitely seems kind of in the vein of Doki Doki Literature Club, yeah. in where it's a subver I'm not even sure if that's a, the right word to use, but it's a, it's not what it appears at first glance, essentially. And what's what's interesting is that the game, they released the opening video for the game, except it says on, during the credits when it says like the song name and it gives all the credits to the artist and the composer and things like that. It says opening number one, which implies that there's probably a second opening and that's probably the real opening of what's going on because yeah. this first opening is very happy-go-lucky cheerful. And so we don't really know what to expect from this other than we should probably be scared. <laughs> I'm excited. That sounds good. Yeah. I, I like yeah. stuff that can kind of uh, pull the rug out from Indu using that kind of cute mm -hmm. girl aesthetic. It's why, like, obviously right. Madoka Magica was, like, huge for that reason. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it There's seems like they're a, little, they're a little more upfront about this. Like, you know that going in. Like, with, with Madoka, I didn't expect it to go in the direction it did. Mm -hmm. Um. And same with, Do with uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. It's like, like on the cover, it just looks like a normal VN. Um, but with this, obviously, like you know the writer of um, Umineko or Hiroshi. Um, yeah, both of them, yeah. You, you His know, name is Ryukishi 07, by the way. Yeah, you, you know who it is going in. So it's like, all right. And clearly, they're not trying to obfuscate the fact that it's going to be, you know, a bit of a horror or thriller series. So, I don't know. It'll definitely be interesting, at least. Yeah, so, yeah I, I'm very much looking forward to it. So that comes out in Japan, November 28th. Uh, fingers crossed for a swift localization after that. And yeah. so that's about, that wraps it up for the new segment. That's about all the big things I have to cover. I tried looking for Blu-ray rankings and I couldn't find them. So 
I don't know if they're just not happening anymore or what's up. I, I might have to dig a little deeper into that because basically my usual source for them, Anime News Network, didn't have them. They're probably available somewhere else. I tried finding them. Couldn't find it. them. A temporary break from the Blu-ray rankings, but we'll, we'll do it next mm-hmm. time, yeah. Exactly. I will find those for sure. All right. So we talked. We, we touched on that a little bit when we were talking about Comic Cat, but uh, Kyle just got back from Japan. And I'm sure he has many things. And I know a lot of anime fans, that's kind of their dream to go to Japan, see what it's like in all these shows that these characters seem to have all the best lives in. So, <laughs> Kyle, Kyle you, you touched on the cleanliness already. Um, let's, just, let's just start off with your first day there. What were kind of the feelings you had stepping off the plane, stepping into Tokyo for the first time and being... Uh, stressful. <laughs> Um, because when we, we got there, we got there about like, what was it? Like around noon time on a Saturday. Um, so it was me and a group of three other people, uh, two high school friends and my younger brother. Um, and the thing about it, like it, it was all of our first times, like really traveling, like outside of the continental U S um, and especially in another country where like English is kind of an afterthought and is being accommodated. Um, so mm-hmm. our, our first real struggle was the fact that like only one of us had like an active SIM card. Um, so we were pretty much relying on like mobile hotspots for, for most of the trip really, cause that didn't get solved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that after that, like we, we took the train into Tokyo, we landed in Narita. So we went to Tokyo and, as soon as we stepped off, like the air conditioned train into the station, just the, the, the fucking heat, just the heat <laughs> just like enveloped us. And mm-hmm. that like, we don't have any regrets about the trip. We, we loved everything that we did. The only, literally the only thing we probably do differently is just not go during August. Mm. Yeah, so, that's probably the hottest time of the year for Japan. Yeah, so if anybody is thinking about going to Japan, do it during like the middle of fall or the middle of spring. Like do not go do not go to Japan from like June to August. And if you live there, that's just kind of your life. <laughs> Um, cause yeah, just sorry, part, Japanese part, people. Yeah, I, yeah, just, sorry. Just like part of like, if we wanted to do anything at all, like we had to jump from convenience store to the convenience store, which was like awful. Um, but aside from that, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, our first day there, our first few days there were really just like front loading most of the touristy aspects. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm actually, uh, doing a write up of my trip there. Uh, so that'll, hopefully come out soon but yeah it was for for me like definitely the the touristy parts are fun like you know going to cafes checking out akiba and all of that but what really like was my favorite part of the trip was uh when we were traveling around um and probably the the, the most the most engaged i got in my time in Japan, there was in Kyoto. Um, and I had mentioned this to Matt, I think while I was there, but there's such a different vibe between Tokyo and Kyoto. Uh, Tokyo is like your very typical metropolitan, like very high population density. And like, there are definitely like some cool things about it compared to how 
like cities are just built and run in the US, like the train system is fucking phenomenal and puts oh, yeah. like the the best subway metro systems we have in the US to absolute shame. Uh, the the trains are clean, they run with like regularity, they're cheap, and they're fast. And they cover like the expanse of Tokyo, which is a massive, massive city. Um, so getting around from like one half to the other, like took no effort. All you had to do was like stand on the train for like 15 minutes. And that was it. It's just like the opposite um, of trains in the UK, basically. That is incredible. Like I'm extremely jealous. It, and the opposite of Boston trains as well. Yeah. It's just like, and like, yeah, before like going there, I like, I, I had to deal with like Seattle's public transportation. Um, I was on the East coast for school. So I'd gone through the New York subway. I'd gone on the, the Boston T and those were like better than what I had experienced before, which was like buses that would show up like 20 minutes late and take you 45 minutes to get somewhere. But like it's it's just on an entirely different level, and more more than that, just the the I talked already touched on this about like the cleanliness and all of that, but there's just such a an ingrained sense of organization um, to just how a lot of things are run that just kind of makes sense. In People Japan. standing off to the side on escalators. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! It's a there, revelation. There's, there, there's that people like actually standing in line for things um, and like not trying to like awkwardly like passive aggressively cut you in line it's like no fucking wait your turn and, and that's just like accepted and like normal there um but the, the big thing for me was th- the fact that like that how the food industry how the service industry is run there um so one of my favorite things that i absolutely miss is our ticket diners which oh, yeah. is like eight eight <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen that here in the US, but what it is, is in Japan, there's a lot of like little like hole in the wall shops or izakayas or diners where outside of the main door, you will have what looks like a, like a lottery ticket dispenser, but instead of, you know, things that fuel your gambling addiction, they are tiny little pictures of food. And you just put in however much yen you want to spend and you press the buttons for the food you want and they pop out tickets and you hand it over to uh, the server inside the restaurant. You wait and you just get your food like fucking magic. And it just makes so much fucking sense. And you're in and out of there in like 20 minutes. You are. And oh my God. And the food is phenomenal. Like, like my, my, my vacation to Japan was like, like, I am not joking when I say half of it was just a food vacation because course, yeah. it's so cheap uh, and don't, don't let the, anybody tell you that like traveling to Japan or even Tokyo is expensive. It's expensive if you want it to be expensive, but you can easily get by with like f- the equivalent of $15 a day having really nice food. Having really nice like restaurants. I don't. I don't know if you'd have checked this out, Kyle. But on the subject of food, I'm intrigued. What's it like if you're vegetarian or you're vegan and you're in Japan? You will have so many options. Really? Yeah, because um, like, and so one of my friends um was actually like joking about that. He said like, "Wow, this is like the most green I've ever seen or like ingested." Yeah. In like months, because uh, he's used to eating, you know, like like a lot of like meat or like like fried like meats and you know big like Just, America has this like obsession with beef. 
Yeah, just um, you guys like your heart attacks. <laughs> yeah, and it's like Japan has like such a wide variety in terms of like the what what even just one dish contains. Mm. Um, so yeah, for somebody like yourself, Harry, like you could easily find just like a nice bowl of ramen that's like only made with vegetables and starches. That's very good, um, yeah. Negimen. Or even like fried like vegetable tempura or other, and, and it's it's like they're, they're not even like afterthoughts. Really cool. It's like they like even the side dishes are like so fucking tasty. Yeah. And what is it like? Because I mean, I don't know what your Japanese is like, but again, if you're going there, with, <laughs> if you're going there with, with limited English, like would they kind of understand? But there was a case like years and years ago, my mum went to Scotland. This was a very long time mm-hmm. ago, and she went to a place, and my mum's vegetarian, and she, and she said, um, "Like, oh, do you have anything uh, vegetarian on the menu?" And the lady went, "Well, we've got chicken." <laughs> and it's, it's just like, okay, you don't really seem to get vegetarianism. <laughs> So, but, but like, oh if, if you went over to like Japan and you don't have the best Japanese, if you mention the word vegetarian or even the word vegan, would they kind of have an idea of what you're talking about and what you're referring to? Um, like, yeah. So before heading over, um, I uh, looked pretty deeply into uh, a subreddit called r slash Japan Travel, which is a sub forum on Reddit, yeah. and they give a lot of good pointers about like survival tips. Um, and they're very accommodating about like allergies and um, you know dietary restrictions and stuff like that. Yeah. And there are a lot of places that actually advertise in English like vegetarian or vegan friendly menus. Oh, that's really cool. Um, but yeah. the, of course, the caveat being, you know, that that's more in the metropolitan areas where they expect a lot of tourists. Like there was one night where we stayed in Ryokan um, in like the forested hills of Kyoto, and it was a little disconcerting as I was riding the bus and saw less and less English. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, like I, I had been studying like some Japanese um, and I knew enough survival phrases. Um, let me just say three months is not enough, like to make you even remotely comfortable. Like all of, all of what I thought I knew just like is so different from when you're actually like talking to another person. Mm. Um, oh yeah. So I, I definitely like one of my stock phrases to pull out was sorry. I don't understand Japanese. Yeah, that was. Um, but but I, I, a lot of people appreciate you making the effort. Yeah. Um, which is you know I, I was happy to do that and um, it made for some fun you know interactions and it, it definitely you know made me feel or it made me motivated to want to study more. Um, and it was at least That's a lot good. better than a lot of the tourists I ran into who just like defaulted to English and didn't even try. Yeah, I, I think like if you go to any countries, it's worth trying. Just like mm-hmm. even if you just write stuff into your phone or write stuff on a notepad and you're just checking it, like people will appreciate if you're trying to speak their language. Um, unless they're really rude and stuff. Like generally, I think people mm-hmm. are pretty open minded. Um, what it was fun. I'm oh, sorry. I know, sorry, I was pretty much done. I was just rambling. <laughs> <laughs> What was funny was that when I was there and I was trying to practice my Japanese and I would be speaking to someone, they would sometimes start speaking to me in English. I'm like, no, I wanted to actually speak in Japanese, but okay, fine, we can speak. Because they sometimes they like to speak in English as well. You, mm, yeah. you get that kind of person every now and then. And so it's it's interesting. You never quite know uh, what the person you're going to walk up to is going to be like in their English comprehension skills, how their, their level of acceptance towards international people and things like that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I get yeah, the impression was... people in Japan are just pretty friendly overall. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There were oh god, there were a couple instances though where um, yeah, like ninety five percent of our interactions were either like you know good and you know was just very cordial to uh, downright like welcoming and very friendly. Um, but there were a couple instances where like the the one that sticks out in my mind was when we had oh god where were we we had taken a train to nagoya and we had just gotten off of the shinkansen like and we were out in like the like shinkansen area. is a bullet train by the way for those who don't know <laughs> yes i don't know if it means if shinkansen means bullet train it absolutely does not it, it means okay. new tree trunk oh Oh well, there, there we go. That that's what the kanji is for no. kanji R for shinkansen. There go on. We are. <laughs> <laughs> but stepping outside of the station, um, we got into the area where like there, there's like a bunch of taxis. Which so apparently like taxis are still a huge fucking thing in Japan. Which is all right. We'll, we'll roll with that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we we like flagged one down, and immediately the dude just yells at us. Is like get in, get in, get in, <laughs> and he's like. He's like shouting at my friend Michael. He's like trying to show him directions where we want to go. He's like, "What? What?" Um, and he like just as soon as like he gets the you know location, quote unquote, and I you'll see why I say that in a bit <laughs> here. Um, he just speeds off and is like fucking like like veering like left and right like a fucking madman. And as soon as we get to our destination. Um, or what he thinks is our destination, he forces us out and says, all right, out, out, now. And he's like, holy shit. And that was like one of the most uncomfortable wow. interactions I'd had that entire trip. It, it, it was like a, one of like a few. He's been playing too much crazy taxi and he's not left to be I, I, I mean, don't know. Home of uh, Tokyo Drift. He needs drift. to get, needs to get him a oh high God. score. That's why he's getting you out quickly. It was just, it, it was this like, I don't know, it was just one of the most uncomfortable like experiences i'd ever had but and that was the exception correct that, yes to, to be let's, clear let's that clear. absolutely <laughs> clear that was the exception for the most part uh just everybody i had an interaction with whether it was you know the service industry or just like a random person uh it was very pleasant overall mm-hmm. um but yeah so he he took us to like this so we were trying to, we were in Nagoya to visit the uh, Toyota factory um, and see how like their production line is run. And he took us to a museum that's like on the other side of the city <laughs> for Toyota. But I guess something got lost in translation. So here we were, you know, not where we wanted to be. So that was fun. <laughs> we, we managed to get to the factory, which is fine. But yeah, that was, okay. uh, yeah. An experience. It, it was definitely an experience. And uh, I'm, it, it only cements the fact that I don't want to use taxis, even in the U.S. here. Mm-hmm. And they're expensive, too. The taxis in Japan are very expensive. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Well, so uh, I think I was saying that earlier, but yeah, like getting to Japan is, you know, on the expensive side. I think like the cheapest you can get is like an $800 like round trip ticket, which is pretty pricey. Mm. But aside from that, it's like you can easily get by with like not spending a huge amount of money. So how much did you spend? Especially when if you, you get the rail pass. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. $800 on like the, the plane, but how much did you spend in terms of just regular spending money when you were there? So a lot. 
I had been planning for this and right. I, I knew that I was going into this wanting to spend a lot of money. Yeah, to be fair, um, I don't think anyone goes to Japan just like on an impulse kind of thing. It's like a thing you mm-hmm. do prepare for. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So as long as you know what you're getting into and you like prepare your bank account, like it's, right. you can easily plan around it. I'm sure like- Do your research. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I'm sure if I had like- wanted to i could have spent way less money and i think the next time i'm there i that's probably what i plan to do um is you know go there for as like minimal as possible but i went there fully expecting to like get souvenirs spend a lot of money on food and bring back a lot of like just figures which i got Mm -hmm. like a stack of six nendos for like under 120 bucks and i was like very happy with that it's great yeah it It was funny one so good (laughs) When I went to Japan for the first time and I went and bought a bunch of figures too. And then I Skyped my, uh, my mom because I was with my dad at the time. And she was like, mom, look at all the figures I got. She's like, why are they all girls? I'm like, why would they be guys? And she's like, good point. <laughs> all right. So to ra- wrap up this conversation uh, quick. So since we watch a lot of anime, like I'm sure we always tell ourselves like, okay, this is how anime is. But Japan's not like that. But even still... Anime probably had some influence on what your expectations were, what you thought Japan oh, yeah. would be like. Mm-hmm. So what compared to like that image of Japan you had in your mind going into it, shaped from all these ha- different mm-hmm. sources, how did Japan compare to that? And what was it's, the image you had in your it's head? It's kind as well? of a complex answer to that because mm-hmm. there are certain parts that like l- lived up to and even exceeded what I had imagined. And there are other parts where it's like, oh. All right, yeah, of course it'd just be like this, I, and I think that one of the ones where the reaction where oh, all right, yeah, um, where I had that was when I visited Akihabara. Yes. Um, like it's often portrayed as like the you know mega four otakus and weebs, but it's really just like a fucking giant ball. Yep. And it's like all right, cool. The 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 biggest difference there, and I think it was more of a culture shock than anything or a cultural difference was the fact that on full display were just all of these cute anime girls. That was Mm -hmm. something that like still, even to like the last day of the trip still was like a little eyebrow raising on massive billboards, massive massive billboards, like building the the entire, like fucking all of the Sega arcades were just blasting love live. And it was like, (laughs) that was okay. As a bit of a diversion here, um, I, Japan has very shit taste in waifus. (laughs) Even like, regardless, I don't care that they fucking made them. They have shit taste in them because there is so much REM there that it's, it actually like kind of got me salty. Like, I don't know why she's so popular. Well, I I have guesses as to why she's so popular, but it, it, it's like upsetting that she is. Um, It's just, it's, I have, I have a lot of feelings about ReZero and, yeah, seeing seeing Rem plastered all around was like a little uh, come on. Um but yeah, like the the big thing really was like, yeah, just passing like all of these uh figure shops and seeing like, oh that's that's a lot that's a lot of TNA just like openly displayed mm-hmm. there. And I walked into a basement and was suddenly surrounded by porn. That was my next question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You walked in the basement of the top floor of a department store. Yeah, I walked yeah. into a one of the many, many uh book and DVD stores and was like, huh, what's this basement go down to? And then the first thing I saw was a Tenga gachapon. And then I turned right and saw a massive wall of lolly. 
So <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was definitely an experience. And mm-hmm. it was, it, it, it's weird to describe. It, it's, it's like a feeling you get. Just as soon as you get in there, it's like, it's such a clean, casual environment where people are just like, there's just people behind a counter and like people bringing up porn and buying it <laughs> and people just casually browsing like stacks of dojins and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm just going to walk out of here. You could finally be but, with your kind, Kyle. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but, yeah, yeah, the way so, I describe Akiba is that to fully enjoy, you need to either A, have shit tons of money or B, fully understand written Japanese, not spoken Japanese, but written Japanese since all the stuff, a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff there is like, uh, light novels, manga, things in the Japanese language. If you don't understand, mm-hmm. then you can't really enjoy it much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, if you do, like, it's it's absolutely like it, like it's the equivalent of like when I used to like go to bookstores a lot, like walking into a Borders or a Barnes and Noble and just like meandering and looking at all the different titles. It's like it's absolutely awesome for that. Um, mm-hmm. And just you know, finding you know hidden series or books that you you know never would have like thought you'd encounter but it's absolutely cool for that but i think it was definitely like ah all right cool um was my general reaction to it but the one that like i think exceeded and lived up to lived lived up to and exceeded like what i expected out of anime was visiting kyoto um because kyoto and the area surrounding it absolutely explains kyo annie (laughs) <laughs> it's just such a relaxed, laid-back series of neighborhoods and, like, open areas in, like, this gorgeous, like, forested, hilly, just, it's not really a metropolitan, it, it's a big city, but it's, like, a very spread-out, sprawling um, urban environment. And probably my favorite part about Kyoto was walking around Uji, uh, which is where Kyoani is based, and just strolling through a lot of like residential areas and neighborhoods and just like taking it all in. And it's such a, it's such a mellow vibe. There's like parks and rivers and like it, it, it's just quintessentially Kyo Annie. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so just pleasant walking down mm-hmm. along the river as well. Just all the stone steps skipping across that as well. Mm-hmm. So if that if there was one place you would recommend in Japan, it would be Kyoto. That's that's your yes, highlight. yeah, yeah. Kyoto was absolutely my highlight. Um, and I like Tokyo was fun, and like you go there because like when you think Japan or visiting Japan, it's like oh, of course Tokyo. But um, Kyoto just has everything that I want would, out of a trip. If, to Japan. if you had to live somewhere in Japan, would you choose Kyoto? Oh yeah, ab- absolutely in a heartbeat. And do you think it's like yeah. a nice balance as well? Because it is obviously like, it's a, a city, you've got lots of things to do. But it's it not, is, yeah. I imagine it's not quite as busy as Tokyo. It's not quite as hectic and fucking touristy and wild. So is it's it not like as a, tall as Tokyo. Yeah. Is it like a nice blend of the two of like kind of mainstream city, but with slightly more quiet it's, areas? I it's guess. a lot closer to the cities, uh, to like the kind of city that I'm used to. Yeah. Um, growing up in California, California has a lot of like spread out cities. Um, mm-hmm. California doesn't really build up; it builds out. Right, like LA is the exception to that. But yeah, that. yeah. But if you go to somewhere like San Fran or Sacramento or where I'm from, Monterey, it's very much a you. you it it blends into the surrounding environment. Um, and Kyoto absolutely does that. It's like Tokyo is very much a concrete jungle. Um, and there's, you know, there's parks here and there, but, but Kyoto, like, just 
naturally intermingles with like the forested uh, area around it, mm-hmm. um, which is, yeah, it, it's, it's a lovely area, highly recommend visiting. And it's especially great if you're a QAnnie fan, because uh, there are a lot of recognizable areas from a lot of different shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was cool for me to uh, walk down Masagata, which is the uh, area or the shopping area where Tomiko Market's based off of, or, uh, some of the residential areas in Uji, which Hibike Euphonium is based around. Um, and then there's like the big shopping arcades where it's like, oh, this wasn't Dragon Maid. It's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it had like the nice mix of weeb culture and actual culture. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Kyoto so was pro- Kyoto, yeah, Kyoto's probably my, my heavily recommended. Go, go live your weeb, weeb dreams out in Kyoto. <laughs> Go isekai yourself there. If you, if you oh, have don't, the money. don't, don't isekai yourself. I really want to go to Japan. Yes, exactly. But I just need the money, but I am quite yeah, jealous. I, I, it it, it, it took me, you know, well over. I, I, I have been thinking about this since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and I only just now like had my like life in the place where I wanted to be to the point where I felt comfortable like spending the time and money to get there. Yeah. So it, it's worth it. It's worth it. And you know, would you say if you can? Would you say for like one thousand five hundred, you'd have enough for your your accommod- oh, absolutely. your accommodation, yep. your plane, and a few hundred left over for like whatever spending. Depending where you're traveling from, I and what time of the year you're traveling, I'd say that's very reasonable. Yeah. Um, and what kind of accommodations you're looking at? I I will say, if you're going to Japan, here's another thing that lived up to. Uh, the, Another thing that exceeded <laughs> my expectations, capsule Last hotels thing. Last are thing. fucking amazing. <laughs> okay, I never tried one of those. That's I, interesting. I, I love capsule hotels so much. Um, yeah, it definitely beats our Airbnb. Is, is this but, like what, where the room is just like a little capsule in the wall? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and like, it, and, you, but you've got enough space for your bag or whatever you need. Yeah, and you know, there's like you know the communal shower area and all of that. Yeah. But it's it's um, is that where you were? were it's you, were it's you on in the cheap a capsule hotel. Well, we were, we were there for a few nights when we were traveling around the country. Yeah, but for the most part, we you know we were still based out of our Airbnb in Tokyo. Yeah, but when we did use the capsule hotels, they were fucking phenomenal. And how much are they for like mm-hmm. one night? It's like thirty bucks a night. That's decent. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, I I have plenty to say about Japan, but I think I will uh, save that for when I uh, push out uh, this, uh, <laughs> your article post post travel uh, write up that I'm uh, working on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can hear the sirens outside my window. <laughs> the sirens that are telling me to uh, talk about some Kimetsu no Yaiba. Yes. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. So we're gonna wrap up our episode this week talking about Kimetsu no Yaiba Demon Slayer. And for those unfamiliar, that is. We've talked about it here and there on this podcast before, but it is the show about a young man whose uh, his family is basically murdered by some unknown demon, leaving his the only sole survivor is his younger sister. But the sister turns into a demon, and demons in this universe have to eat humans to survive. They can't be in sunlight or else they burn away. So it's a very sticky wicket, you might say. But uh, main character's name is Tanjiro. His sister is Nezuko. Nezuko manages to, manages to rein in her carnal desires and not eat humans. And so now Tanjiro is kind of on this hunt to find a way to turn her back into a human. By doing that, he joins up with a demon hunting core 
to hunt demons and find an answer or clue to said solution. And the reason we bring this up is because one of the more recent episodes, episode 19 specifically, featured a fucking amazing sequence of events. It was so good. It was just fucking incredible. It was so good. So again, we're going to drop a spoiler warning here. So if you haven't seen episode 19 or you care about spoilers, tune out. And you can come back to conclusions when we give our wonderful, wonderful Twitter yeah, handles. I, I, would, Harry, I would really you say, if you've not seen this show, don't spoil it. Honestly, don't spoil this episode. It's so, mm-hmm. so powerful. It's so well done. And definitely don't just like look up the scene on YouTube or whatever. And just look up the isolated scene. Of the, 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 con, the context definitely need, like gives it yeah, you need the most of its impact. You need the context. You need to have seen the preceding 18 episodes to get to this point and to really realize how good it is. It's, uh, I, I wrote an article on it and um, yeah, it's just so well done. It's, it's just this incredible marriage of music, animation, narrative, theming, and uh, action choreography all just coming together and it just hits you in the feels so hard. Yeah. I will what, say, uh, talking about like, um, in one of our other episodes, uh, adaptations, um, I actually, so I... I am like current with the uh, anime for Kimetsu no Yaiba so much, and I enjoyed it so much that I like finished the manga, and I'm current with that now. But as much as I like the series and I like the um, author behind it, she does fantastic work. I actually prefer the adaptation yeah, because dude. the the way UFO Table just captures the sense of motion, mm-hmm. it, it really makes like the action pop off the page. Um, and like, this is her first like real, or this is the author's like first real series. So she's still like, obviously very clearly like learning as she's going, but UFO table like can see like the essence behind it. And they're a professional studio with plenty of experience and they're able to convey exactly how she like envisions the, the combat going and just like make it really like three dimensional. That's incredible. I mean, so you've, you've caught up with the manga, like, does it remain just as good? Yes. That's that was uncertain. <laughs> yes. Yeah, leave it at that. Yes. No. No. Nope. It, it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. What, what did you guys think for episode nineteen? Yeah. So something that I really appreciate about it. first of all, like the animation. I've. I don't think it's very rare. Yufu Table has a very high standard of animation. Regardless, that's just their baseline. But it's very rare you see them reach the heights they did with that episode. Like the Kagura dance of uh, Tanjiro's father was un. Real, like I had to rewind and watch it. I'm like, is 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 this CG? No, it's not. It's not CG. That's that's hand drawn animation. There's so FPS. many frames yep. happening in that that dance. It was absolute insanity. And the other thing that I really appreciate about that is a standard trope in anime is life flashing before your eyes, and like the main character is about to get killed, and so life flashes behind for his eyes. He's like, no, I can't do that. I have to stand up and fight. And it's very, it's been overdone a lot. And I really really love how this episode episode contextualized that beforehand where before the fight was happening you had a uh, Shizuka I forget her name the Shinobu? butterfly Shinobu yes so you have Shinobu come and rescuing um Zenitsu and, and his, his life is she's saying like his eyes hasn't it yeah yeah exactly and she's like oh they say uh, someone's life flashes before their eyes when they're about to die because they're desperately searching for a way to survive. And that seemed like an off-handed remark at the time, but it made it so that when the life, uh, Tanjiro's life flashed before his eyes, 
it actually made sense in that way. It's like, okay, it's still following the same trope we've seen in Shonen's. However, they've kind because of set of it up in a way that, yeah, exactly. Mm. I really appreciate how they contextualize. And that this whole episode was just about context and the way that they present everything within it. The way they present the bonds between Tanjiro and Nezuko being real compared to the fake bonds of uh, Ru Rui. And the way that manifests in them combining their powers together to... This was the next episode I wasn't a fan of because of that, but to effectively cut off his head, what should have been cutting off his oh. head, but yeah. Um, so same in the next I, episode where he was still alive. Um, yeah, and so... Yeah. What I, I understand where you're coming from, but what I was about to praise for the following two episodes for, so the next one and the latest episode, is how he actually mm -hmm. showed his backstory, Ryu's backstory, and it went into like why he became who he is. And in the latest episode where it actually shows before he was a demon, when he was, you know, the son of his mum and dad and how that all came about, I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, right. And I, I, I almost, sorry. I feel yeah. like you wouldn't have had that in the same way if he'd have just been killed off by Tanjiro and Nezuko in that moment. Um, but I also get where you're coming from. It did kind of feel a bit weird where it's like, fuck, they worked so hard to kill him but he's not dead. But I also feel that says a lot about like Tanjiro's power level and his growth that he has to do. It's this idea that like he's pushed himself to his absolute limits and even then he still couldn't quite do it. He still couldn't beat mm -hmm. him, which to me- that's, But you can see the potential. You see the potential. That's the way I saw mm -hmm. it as well. Yeah, because it's, it's like, it, it makes you think, fuck, so he's one of the lower 12 demon moon thingies. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. even then when Tanjiro pushed himself to his absolute limit and collaborated with Nesuko, he still couldn't fully beat him. He came close, but he couldn't do it. To me, that's quite exciting because it's like, fuck, there's a lot of growth. See, it serves the dual purpose of like showing how far they still need to go yeah. and how much of a threat the 12 moons are. Yeah, so, so mm -hmm. in many ways, the fact that he couldn't kill him is actually quite an interesting way to take it. So that's right. that, that's one of the things I really, really like about um, how the author writes the series is that it is like, it's still very consistent um, like later in, in the manga, but there is, and, and, I, and I don't really feel this same way about like a lot of other shonen, but there is still a very real and tangible threat every time anybody gets in a fight. Mm. And I feel like that kind of gets lost in a lot of other shonen where it's like, all right, let's see this back and forth. And of course they're going to win or you can like, they, they clearly telegraph whether that's intentional or not in a lot of shonen, who's going to win a fight. But even mm -hmm. till the most current chapter in Demon Slayer, it's always a toss up. And it's really fun to watch how the fights unfold because you like it, it, it it's always like by the like, by like the skin of their the, the, the skin of their neck, whatever the phrase is. The skin of your teeth. There you go, skin mm. of your teeth. It's always <laughs> by the skin of your teeth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I quite like that in some sort of capacities, yeah, it is almost like tweaking the conventions of shonen while still being like a clear-cut shonen anime and manga. Mm -hmm. it's, it's getting that really good balance of, of playing to the, the strengths of that genre, but also doing a few things slightly differently so it doesn't feel derivative or boring. Um, yeah, I fucking love it. I've got, I've got nothing yeah. but good stuff to say about it the more I think about it. Yeah. It's really, really good. Like you were saying, Kyle, um, going back to Muzan, the, the big bad of the series, I very much appreciate how they establish how much of an actual real threat he is and how quickly they did it in the anime. Because typically in shonen shows, you don't 
you don't even hear about the big bad until like well into the series, let alone meet them. Like as much as we all love My Hero Academia, we didn't hear about uh, All for One for a very long time. We didn't actually meet him until a recent episode. Whereas in Demon Slayer, we hear about Muzan in like what the third or fourth episode, and then we meet him in this bone chillingly manner in like episode six. And in that singular moment, it established just how much of a threat he actually yeah. is because he's not he's not exactly how we thought he would be. Mm-hmm. He has what looks to be a family, and we don't know. What the family's deal is, we don't know if they know he's a demon. It seems like he's hiding something from them. Why is he playing that family? Does he actually have feelings, or is he just like like Rui and trying to have some sort of fake bond? It's super complex. And just as you're having that doubt, he does the horrible, horrible thing of turning some random bystander into a demon on the spot, and also Without like exploding a girl's head. Too. Him. Yeah, it's like that scene only lasted for all of three minutes, but it established so 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 well. Just mm-hmm. how much of a real threat he is, and how that's much what's really cool. Danger it, it, it could have introduced him very kind of like casually and almost taken away that uh, scary threat of him. But I feel like it hasn't. It's only added to it. Like no character has fought him or gone up against him. But that doesn't matter because the point is we know that he'd fucking slaughter him instantly. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, Kyle, like as someone who's caught up with the manga, does does it show how? evil and how fucking powerful this guy is later yeah, on yeah I, I was i was about to say like there are the the author makes a a concerted deliberate effort to show you just how much of a threat he is yeah um and i think one of the things that the author does really well is that she knows how to convey power levels very well and th- this this vague notion of like a power level is entirely dependent on how consistent you are with the rules of how combat works and how your characters like develop with that combat system. And it's so she, she does like this thing where it's very like broad, like typical shonen stuff where it's like, Oh, breath of water, first form stuff like that, where it's like very, very shonen sounding titles. Um, but it's, with a very like limited set of tools she makes she 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 knows how to like establish like where people are relative to each other or it's like okay it makes sense that like you know in, in like this most recent episode or in these past couple episodes um how you know it takes Tanjiro and Nezuko just like all of their willpower and effort just to beat this one person and even then that's like not enough and mm. she gets very like granular and very specific with that without being like overbearing about it so all, all that to say like yes she she does like show you just how powerful muzan is yeah mm-hmm. that's cool i'm excited i'm really looking forward yeah. to continuing i also like that um i think from what i know this series is going to end at 26 episodes uh but i mean mm-hmm. they'll obviously do a second season because like this one's done so well um but i'm glad that it's seasonal and the it's not going to be something where it eventually catches up with a manga and it starts to do filler material. It's from what I know, the manga is quite far ahead, isn't it? It's quite. It is, but the thing about the manga too is that like it's so fast paced, kind of to its detriment. Really, um, I, I like the 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 real criticism I'd have about the series as a whole, and I think UFO Table has actually done a good job of this with their adaptation. But give the characters time to breathe. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing too. 
It's like, like it, the, it, the episode where they're at the Wisteria house, that was such a breath of fresh air that they desperately yeah. needed, literally. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, obviously there's like an upcoming like recovery arc here. Um, they're introducing like new characters. So we're going to have some time to meet them. And I, I really just hope that at least the way UFO table adapts, they, you know, give a little more like slice of life stuff which is always fun to see in Shonen because that's how you get to know the characters outside of stressful combat situations. Right, exactly. Like the, the way I think of it in my head is that you can have strategic filler. I, I, I do think strategic filler <laughs> is mm-hmm. necessary for Shonen because you need to have, like you said, you need to give your characters room to breathe, them room to grow because otherwise if you just see them in the context of battle, in the context of these life or death situations, you don't really, it's hard to get to know them as a person. And if you don't get to know a character as a person, it becomes increasingly more difficult to get attached to them beyond the superficials. Like, well, you're the main character and you have good ideals and you have a good goal. So I want to root for you instead mm-hmm. of I want to root for you because I really love you and I will be very excessively sad if you die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so having those strategic fillers to see what they're like outside of those situations is really, really important for that. Yes, yeah, I will say for, so for those like more like relaxed segments, um, those are the moments where like Inosuke really shines um, because obviously like he, he's great in combat, right? Um, and he's got like such a- Is like, a, he? For, well, in terms of like fun <laughs> to watch. Yeah, okay. Um, he's definitely like a, the, the kind of person who will like try and slap a, slap a fucking computer if it's not working. Um, <laughs> yeah but it, it it's fun to see that like that that personality in a more laid-back environment um and we've already seen that with the wisteria house where you know you, you see him kind of just like f- just freaking out um and just being like completely rambunctious um and over the top and it, it's fun to see that in that that kind of uh character type in a more relaxed environment so I, i'm very excited for the next couple episodes where they're taking their time off and you know having more of those uh, character interactions and i hope ufo table does give it a bit more space than uh they got in the manga yeah that that last shot of the recent episode with all the hashira standing next to each other that was pretty cool it's got me mm-hmm. rubbing my hands together it's like oh man <laughs> This is literally a very colorful cast of characters that I'm very much looking forward to getting to know. Oh God, they're great. Yeah, yeah they're, they're all great. Um, mm-hmm. And the nice thing about them too is like, they are not exempt from the rule of uh, balanced power levels, which was really, really nice to see because when they got introduced in the manga, I was like, oh God, is this another fucking bleach captain situation? <laughs> uh, it's not, it's really not. They're, That's good to hear, yeah. It's it's fun to see them struggle. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'll leave that alone. Yeah, like I I will say my one complaint of the show, and I do fully agree that I love how they humanize the demons, showing them how they are before. However, I I don't know how, but there's got to be a better way of just flashbacks. showing random flashbacks yeah. out of nowhere that no one actually <sighs> is seeing that Tanjiro isn't seeing. It's just like okay, we're about to kill him. Here's a flashback to the demon story. It's just like. And then Tanjiro mm-hmm. says, okay, I smell the despair. I feel bad for you. It's like, it, I get it. I, 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 I want to feel bad for the demons. I do. But there's got to be a better way of doing it. I don't know how. Uh, yeah, I, d- I didn't think yeah. about that as a fair point. Um, it, but it's, it, says a, it says stop. a lot. It's like, it's a real nitpick, isn't it? And like, that's mm-hmm. the point. We can only nitpick this show. Overall, it is really fucking mm-hmm. solid. It's mm-hmm. really well done. 
and I'm extremely excited to see like how this season ends and to see like when season two comes out. Um, although it would be great because when this season ends, My Hero Academia season four My will be starting. So we'll be all good. Oh yeah. God, where did the anime stop off? I haven't. I still need to watch. I think was it season two, season three, season, season three. three. So uh, it. it it stopped, it stopped just before with, your favorite arc, yeah. Kyle, because it stops where. Oh right, they just introduced the big three. They just three. introduced the big three, and oh my oh, god, yeah, that's yeah, right. This right, yeah, fucking yeah. Mirio arc. Just, just okay. kind of yeah, introducing Overhaul, and that's going to be the next arc, which I, okay. I know. Right, yeah, yeah, I know a bit about, but obviously I don't know all of it. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. The, the, this was easily my favorite arc in uh, Hero Academia, so yeah, I definitely need to. get Are it you on. caught up with all the manga? I haven't caught up for like the past few months but that really just translates to like 30 chapters right so um i'm, I'm caught up at least for like the next couple arcs yeah um that would be shown in the anime can you so. can you confirm it's all good oh oh yeah no it's, it's all good <laughs> um in fact it's kind of like it it not, not saying it gets worse but it doesn't really like top off where this upcoming arc leaves but I think that's by design. Like it, it's like the, the upcoming arc has like a lot of stuff happening, so naturally you're going to need to like have all this set up. Yeah. Um. For that. Uh. For the mm-hmm. for the next uh, like few arcs afterwards to have the same impact that it does. Um. But so tune in to our weekly or our monthly fangasming of that <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll be good. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I. That's about all we have to say about Demon Slayer. Just all very stoked go watch about it. it. Watch, I, go watch yeah, it. Yeah, just go watch it. I'm I'm just so pleased as well that because this is I think I mentioned it before, but this is UFO Table's first manga adaptation series. Everything they've done up until this point have been game adaptations, and so this is their first actual manga adaptation. And even though that should theoretically. It seems like it should be easier. It's still a first for them, so I'm glad to see them just absolutely. Yeah, knock it's also really interesting on that note too because um, this is the author's, uh, the, the mangaka's first like serialized uh, story. Mm-hmm. Um, and before the anime got picked up, it had like a pretty small following. Um, it, right. it still had like you know a dedicated fan base, and you know it got more and more readers um, every week, but it it was like I I'd say it definitely like rivals other shonen um, that are currently airing right now, and just to see like the author come from like doing one shots and like suddenly having like all of this success is very very nice to see. Um, so so I, I'm excited to see what she does after Demon Slayer. Here's a question I want to ask you: Absolutely, both. let's say this season one ends and Ufo Table have done an amazing job. And it's announced that they won't be animating season two. It will go to another Boom. studio. Which would be your favorite studio, and which would be your least favorite studio? Probably. I would be excessively worried if it was anything but Troika. I think, and even then, I'd still be excessively. <laughs> what has Troika done? I don't think I know the uh, Troi- name yet. Troika has done uh, ReZero and uh, not ReZero, uh, or Recreators, and um, there was another one that, uh, and they're also doing El Malloy files right now. Like they're the only ones that I could see being able to have the same quality of and coming close to the quality of animation that Ufo Table has, but not yeah. quite reaching it. Would, would, because say what you want about Recreator Story, uh, the animation was fucking incredible. Who so. and who would be your least favorite? <laughs> I, I was thinking. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
That would just like, be underwhelming. JC staff is like, oh man, I, I'm so, I, like I like a lot of their shows, but they're I don't they're just like the McDonald's of anime studios. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so it's true. Like they're, they're not bad, but it's like you don't go to them when you're looking for like anything exceptional or quality. But it's like you know what you're mm-hmm. getting out of them. Mm-hmm. But as far as like studios, I'd like to see. I don't know. It, it's weird because like just talking about UFO Tables animation with Demon Slayer and, you know, from what I have seen of Fate, it's just they're one of the only studios that knows how to use CG well and 3D right. well because I. I I don't think any a, tra- a a traditional 2D approach to Demon Slayer would work. Like you Absolutely need yeah. you need the CG yeah. with the 2D animation. You need that like it, sense of spatial awareness and through like it never feels 3D. jarring. Typically, like 3D animation integrated into like an anime just always feels so jarring and so like oh they ran out of budget here so they did this. In Demon Slayer, it just always feels like such a smart stylistic choice that makes perfect mm-hmm. sense for the scene. And it's like, oh yeah, they couldn't have done that about 3D animation. Like, Oh, that's the other part it. where why I prefer the anime adaptation to the manga, um, as much as I like the manga, is that the the use of color is a- mm. absolutely adds like several mm. layers yeah. and dimensions to the show. Yeah. It's it's really cool. Absolutely. I think it's so well animated. Yeah, and the way the the way the breaths are animated is f- fucking phenomenal. All hand drawn too, which mm-hmm. is insanity. Like you said, they really they know how to use CG well, but boy, do they know how to use a pencil still. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like right. they've just put every type of great animation in and just done it all to the top of its game. And it's it's just fucking incredible. The only studio I could really think of maybe to match like the same like sense of just spatial awareness Honestly, it would probably be Keo Annie. Mm. Um, and it's like that's like obviously like a like crack pick and like way out there. But like the like the the, the pick that somebody might say is Bones, but like I Bones does really good fight scenes, but they don't really know how to like capture a sense of space. They they know how mm-hmm. to like capture like a really good like spectacle and make stuff like really interesting to watch. They have really good fight choreography, but the way UFO Table just like puts you in like the, the pilot seat and like moves you around with the characters, you know exactly where you are in the battlefield mm. and how there things are, so are moving There are so many times when they have first person perspectives at Tanjiro, yeah. Yeah, but it's like the only other studios I can think of that do that are probably like KyoAni and Madhouse where like they, they give you a full sense of the space that the characters inhabit. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's the thing. If like, if, if your table weren't doing season two, then it was like, obviously going to KyoAni or Madhouse. I don't think people would complain too heavily because they'd be like, okay, even, even if hypothetically it didn't look quite as good as season one, you'd at least know it's in good hands. You'd at least know it's going to be enjoyable and it's still going to have some moments where you're like, fucking hell, that's some good animation. Um, but if it went to JC staff, then, mm, oh no. <laughs> you get One Punch Man season two. Yeah, which, which mm-hmm. there were moments of One Punch Man season two that were, that were okay. Um, but, <laughs> but I mean... You know, I, I, I still thought it was it was a decent yeah. season. I mean, from, from what I've heard, it's like, you know, like the story, it's still like adapting the source material, which is fantastic. But it's, I think what's really right. annoying is that they did 12 episodes and then it just ends in the middle of an arc and it's just like, Oh, they do that thing? They separate yeah, the season? Yeah, oh, they God. did 12 episodes and it ends when, um, so have you not seen all of season two? 
Kyle of One Punch Man. I haven't watched it yet. No, I've been holding off. I'm probably going to read the manga so, instead of watching the anime. Okay, so 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 you've not read the manga yet. You don't know what happens. Um, no, right, no. It, it it ends in the middle of an arc. Like if you thought season one's ending was abrupt, this is even more abrupt. Like I'm going to be abrupt with you and end this talk yeah. here because we are getting <laughs> okay. up there in time, oh, and I are. think we we. We've said our piece about Demon yeah, Slayer it's, now. It's fucking and so, good. Watch it. <laughs> yes, exactly. We we got all we got all of our stamp of approvals yeah. for that. And so now we're gonna give you the stamp of approval to check out our Twitters as well. So Harry, where can we find I'm you? I'm Harry at? underscore Morris underscore on Twitter. And uh be happy and love each other and um yeah, good vibes. But, Great life good, advice. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, where can we find you? I am at like the rogue on Twitter and everywhere else. And I'm going to also say, yeah, enjoy life, be happy. And you can do that very easily by watching more anime. Just do it. <laughs> Just yep. do it. And speaking of your Twitter handle, I've been playing a rogue like myself oh, as a break from Fire Emblem. Omega Labyrinth Life. I don't know. Oh. You should look it up right. afterwards. I'm, I'm not going to go into it here. Life. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> well, he is looking that up. You can find me oh, at no. using Bojack, M-U-S-I-N-G, M-O-J-A-C-K. Oh, Matt, what is this? If you want to be happy, you could go play some Omega Labyrinth Life. Oh, Matt, uh, what is this? <laughs> and with that, we oh, will sign off. Oh, age verification. All right. <laughs> Thank um, you for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you next time. <laughs> Ciao.